Coming up, what an excellent day for cookies and Coke. Howdy folks and welcome to Minute 18 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Okay, so our minute starts with Chris and Reagan talking about getting a horse. And ends with a glimpse of that gloomy priest as he enters the subway. Yeah, so... We're back to what I still think is an ad-libbed uh, conversation here between uh, Burston and Blair. Right, um, or like partially ad-libbed, right? Partially, right? Yeah, like augmented, they had, yeah. yeah, they had the groundwork, um, but you know they knew that they were going to deviate a little bit, right? Um, there's even a, a, a bit where uh, Kitty, who plays Sharon, uh, says something off camera, and Linda sort of looks to her and back uh, to Ellen, like she's trying to decide who she's supposed to be uh, talking to in this mm-hmm. moment. It plays out, and eventually gets to Reagan asking for a horse, and. We knew this was coming. This is the I want a pony trope. <laughs> but then we remember, oh, yeah, Chris McNeil can maybe actually afford a horse for her daughter <laughs> um, if she's having dinner with the, the president. Um, <laughs> and but, the problem why she can't get a horse is, oh, because we're on a rental house right now yes. in Washington. Sorry, honey. Right. <laughs> That's not why that can't it's, get a horse. Yeah. Not that it's, you know, a horse. It, <laughs> it's that we're, we're not in our, in our uh, actual home. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, but even then, right? Uh, she answers, we'll see. Um, and it's right. also here revealed for the first time that they don't live in Washington. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, we know this from, you know, uh, uh, the book. And uh, she says they uh, they definitely can't get a horse while they're in Washington and maybe when they get home. So this isn't home. This is, you know, this is the first time that the movie has let us know that. Mm-hmm. So now – Chris turns to Sharon and they're talking about uh, party invitations and that's when Reagan grabs a cookie from the cookie jar and makes a run for it through the kitchen as mom and Sharon try to grab her. Um, she runs into the darkened foyer, 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 that's another word that Both I don't know those. how to pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> Both acceptable, I believe. Okay, good. Um, foyer, foyer, foyer. Um, and she tries this little maneuver at uh, the foot of the stairs, but mom catches her and wrestles her to the ground. And again, this is showing us the the playful, loving relationship that mother and daughter uh, share. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are very affectionate. There, there are so many times in this movie where you forget, oh yeah, Chris McNeil is this like big name actress because you see her mainly in this role, the role of mom. Um uh, again, like so much so that like whenever this movie is parodied, the whole like thing about her being a famous actress is kind of like taken out. She's right. just she's just the mom. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, again, this little interaction isn't in the screenplay. And I kind of like the decision to show that Reagan isn't as two dimensional, you know, like perfectly well behaved child. Right. She steals a cookie and she runs away. Right. So a little right. bit of the devil already. Right. Yeah, and it's not that she's a delinquent, right, or anything like that. Yeah, it's it just it's just avoiding either spectrum of that. She's a regular person, right? Yeah, just like just a regular kid, right? And I even like, right? It, it almost seems like it was an excuse to have the chase, like the playing. Like she didn't care about the cookie; she wanted, you know, more like more playtime with mom. 
basically. Right. She's trying to get caught. She's not like sneaking it. And then and she's doing it as she's staring at her mother. She's doing, she's pulling yeah. the book. Yeah, right. Right. And one thing that's really good about that, that in this minute and the previous, in the previous minute, so the first time we get um, a real glimpse of the geography of the house, as opposed to it being separate. We've had a scene in the kitchen, but now when Chris goes to look for Reagan, we see some of the house. And then in this minute, when she goes to chase Reagan, mm-hmm. we get some more of the house. Mm. And we, we see those feel like stairs. it actually flows together. Yeah, we see the stairs and, the, and and where everything is. And in both of them, even though we're not quite in horror mode, right? We don't have any musical stings under it. We right. have great shots like between this, uh, you know, from this doorway looking in into the foyer, and and it it is very dark. It is noticeably dark. So even even though we're not like necessarily trying to go for a chill or a jump scare here, right? We still get the sense that, like, hey, remember, like, this is a haunted house movie. Yes. I didn't even think about that. Why not light the foyer? It's like, are you trying to save money, Chris McNeil? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> in theory, she's just come from it, right? So if she is coming in and, and coming from work, she probably has turned it on, right? But yeah. no, that doesn't, that's not as good as, you know, it being a little spookified. Yeah, it's, it's nice and dark, right? <laughs> All right. So from here, we cut to an underground subway station. Uh, the screen is awash in these grays and whites and electric blue. A lone figure emerges from the steps, and yes, before that pillar can hide him from our view, here's the real thing, Coca-Cola, travel refreshed, <laughs> we see that, yes, it is our gloomy priest, the one that Chris noticed, and the one that we have been waiting so patiently to learn about. Ah. Can I talk about Coca-Cola? <laughs> sure, sure. It's a real thing, travel refreshed. It's a real thing. Um, I... I had a thought, you know, I like these dinner party sort of thought experiments where people go around. And like one time, my friend Cody LaBeouf, the director, uh, said to everyone on set, he went around and asked, like, if you could have one tree in your yard, what kind of tree would it be? (laughs) And I think his was like a shade tree. He would like a tree with shade. And some people wanted a tree that their kids could climb. And I wanted a lemon tree. A lemon tree sounded the best to me. Oh, yeah. And then you're like, why did I say that? Right. Um, So once someone asked, you know, what what would you like at your um, if you were getting executed, like in your last meal? Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> right. So what would I, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola is my favorite food. And that's the mm-hmm. first thing that came to mind is I would want a, a Coca-Cola right before that. <laughs> and um, do you have an answer for that? Can I ask you that? I wasn't thinking I would, but oh, what geez. would you want in your, in your last meal lesson? Oh, damn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Knowing it's your last meal. <laughs> wow. Um, let's see. Okay. So this is a meal. So not like a, a drink, but like. Well, anything like, you want. Yeah. But I, I was kind of, sh- I was kind of struck by how mine, my, the first thought was the drink that I would have, which was my favorite food, Coca-Cola. Cola, yeah. God, I have, I have like various favorites on on various days. Um, <laughs> See, so if I were to finish it, it would be Coca Cola, some mochi, and some gummy bears like that. Okay. Those would be my comfort things that I would want to to leave this mortal coil with. I think it would be it would be like you know, um, you know, like maybe mom's home cooked like Thanksgiving oh, dinner, which goodness, just yes. which just adds another sad layer to it. Oh my god! <laughs> well, it's very sad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there was like a picture article is where this came from for me of like um, them hearing what real convicted killers were getting for their last meals and then taking pictures mm. of it. You know? mm. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and a couple of them, it was like refused. So it was just a, a blank um, jailhouse uh, <laughs> tray. It was like, yeah, they didn't want one. But anyways, um, I was struck by seeing Coca-Cola here. I mean, you, you must have been as well, right? To mention it. A little bit. Yeah. I was like, I mean, yeah, I, I made a whole yeah gag about it. Yeah. <laughs> It's weird to ta- it, it, it's weird how it takes us out a little bit, and it's like, oh, now I'm thinking about the real world. But what's weirder is actually, you know, this this idea that we have movies that don't have advertising anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so in 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 the late '70s, I would say when you look at like Poltergeist, which is an '80s movie, 
but there are brands all over Poltergeist. And I feel like Spielberg is somebody who started to like accept that, well, if we're going to show the real world, it should have advertising in it. Um, we should have like his version of Halloween isn't, oh, here's a witch and here's a, um, a ghost, a spooky ghost or something. His version of Halloween and E.T. as well, there are Yodas everywhere. Yes. And, right, mm-hmm. that, that's what his, his life is like. So I know part of that is like a, a shift in the way the world looked in the late 1970s into the 80s, but also like what we did in media to, to show that. So, yeah. you know, even if we're shooting in a real subway station as we are, we could have covered up the Coca-Cola sign. Right. Mm-hmm. But it would not necessarily been as real, you know, with the capital R. Yes. Right. Because, I mean, yeah, we have to we have to remember that, like, it, this movie is is trying to draw us in and, and, and make us believe that, yeah, this is a real place with real people. And in a real subway station, you would have signs for, you know, uh, Coca-Cola. Here's the real thing. Travel refreshed. <laughs> and not and not um, here's the vending machine for cola. Yeah. Right. Right. That, that's not how the world works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's this weird, (laughs) right? It's this weird like paradox that advertising takes us out of the movie, Mm -hmm. while at the same time it is more realistic. Yes, we just as a convention don't see real brands uh, or the real names of um, of real uh, real restaurants in in a movie. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, like potentially dangerous. I mean, not not in Mm -hmm. in the case of uh, you know Coca Cola. Here's the real thing: travel refreshed, but. um, Like it could, it could potentially date it because, you know, some of these things right. might not be around in a while. Right. Right. That's a really good point. Um, yeah. You do see that kind of thing happen sometime where like, oh, that's an old brand or that's a, um, you know, something that, that I was just thinking about was the, 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 the DeLorean. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which we now exclusively associate with Back to the Future. Right. If we saw yes. somebody on the street driving a DeLorean, we would say, oh, he likes that car because of the Back to the Future and not the other way around. Right. But that but that could have been completely dated. And I think that they're, you know, in Back to the Future, they're being smart because that's already not a cool car by the time that they're making that movie. It's already supposed to be like an old, outdated idea. And then they make it timeless. Yes. Yeah. So anyways, I was I had to look it up because I forgot when this happened. But I don't know if you know, but Coca-Cola bought Columbia Pictures. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was unfortunately that was in 1982. Um, so, so it's not relevant here, but but Coca Cola was one of the parent companies of a studio at a time when most of the studios became corporate owned. So, um, I went to the Coca Cola Museum. Um, sorry, I, I, I'm hijacking the podcast to talk about Coca-Cola. But then I'm just admitting like, hey, I went to Atlanta uh, on vacation with my boyfriend. And the thing I wanted to see the most was the Coca-Cola Museum because it's because it's my favorite thing. So Coca-Cola, um, if you're if you're out there, um, we don't have a sponsor yet. Just right, saying. Buzz marketing. Just saying. I don't know if you want to be associated with like a green pea soup spewing oh my you goodness, know, demon. Exactly. But, you know, but you're, you're in the movie. You're, you're in, the, in the movie already. So it's not us yeah. doing it. Yeah. But I went to the Coca-Cola Museum. And one of the things they have in there is the best picture Oscar for Gandhi. So in their museum, a bunk amongst like, like Frisbees with Coca-Cola on it, like like all this other like merchandise and there's an Oscar and it's, it's because they owned Columbia pictures when they won best picture for Gandhi. Wow. So it's just amongst all the other, you know, junk. I mean, wow. Yeah. Um, and folks, (laughs) if you're wondering why we're talking so much about, uh, about Coca-Cola, um, which is not a sponsor, <laughs> which is not a sponsor. Um, although it could be, I wouldn't mind that just saying, um, 
uh, it's because this is where our minute ends and this is a really awkward place i was i was so on the fence for so long about whether or not we should introduce this character in this minute or just wait for the next one um we only see him for literally 10 seconds here and some of that is uh, uh behind this subway pillar um here's the real thing coca-cola travel refresh um and so it, it feels weird to do a whole like character study on the character who technically hasn't yet been revealed to us um right. So here's what I'm going to do. We have seen enough of this actor for us to give you his story. And then we're going to get into the character that he plays in uh, the next few minutes. Because let me tell you, after this minute, he is he is in it and we are not going to be able to get away from him. So right. we're going to hear all about all about Father Karras, all about Demi for a long time. So, so you know, buckle up. But, okay, um, but right now, let's take a look at, uh, at this actor, Jason Miller. Um, so uh, he was born in Queens, uh, raised in Scranton, Pennsylvania, where he attended yet another Jesuit-run university, University of Scranton, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes back to New York uh, to work as an actor uh, in off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway. And when he's not acting, he's delivering milk, barely scraping by uh, while living with his wife and two kids, one of whom is Jason Patrick by the way. Now, he is also a playwright. And at this time, he has written a play called That Championship Season, which wins him the Tony Award and the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, And this is all before The Exorcist. All right. And so um, he is married to the daughter of Jackie Gleason, who is the star of The Honeymooners. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So Jason Patrick is the the grandson of Jackie Gleason. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yeah, I want to talk about that that championship season because it's a really good play. Um, And it speaks a little bit to uh, how people perceived uh, Jason Patrick. I'm sorry, not Jason Patrick, the father. um, uh, Jason Miller. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) It speaks a little bit to uh, Jason Miller, uh, how people Mm -hmm. saw him as a jock. Um, and when Friedkin is describing like, like what he likes about Jason Miller, part of it is that he is not a feeble looking priest like father, uh, father Marin, as he knows, he's going to cast like, he looks like an athlete. He looks like Rocky. He looks like Rocky. That's a really good point. Yeah. It looks like Rocky. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very like Sylvester Stallone. Like if I didn't know any better, Mm -hmm. like I would almost like, if I squint my eyes and look sideways, I'd be like, ah, yeah. Stallone was in this movie. Uh, this is Stallone, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's, yeah. So that championship season is a really, really good play. And it is about um, it's about a high school basketball team that had won the championship and their coach. And now it is um, something like, like 10 or 15 years later, and they're all grown up. And, you know, it's about what it's like to become um, a grown up after living uh, as a, as a basically a child athletic star, you know, a college athletic star. And what it's like as you're coming down from all of that. And it's the team plus the coach and they're waiting on the fifth person on the basketball team to come in. It's sort of like um, uh, the Iceman cometh where you're talking the entire time about this person. And if he, when he gets here, we're going to actually start the party. And, and they start to bring up, you know, ideas that are really deep that go into, um, art as well of like you know would we have been okay if our coach wasn't such a a jackass to us you know like a um controlling um semi-abusive father figure to us like could we have done it without that and and people say yes we could have and and at this time we had with our coach was really abusive and awful you know and they're saying it to the coach right which is what makes a good play <laughs> and some people saying like no coach made us who we are and and you know and the coach is like yeah i did that for you and did you really do it for you did you do it for us were we just pawns for you really really deep fun um fun dramatic play and so that's how people saw him was like oh you know you must be like one of these people and he was a he 
he was an athlete of, of sorts and was writing about the school that he had grown up with, similar like um, how uh, Vladdy is writing about the school that he went to undergrad at. Right, right. And he does go back. I, I think like I was reading his bio and he goes back mm-hmm. to Scranton, Pennsylvania. Right. And he, uh, I, I think he becomes like a, a, a an acting teacher over there. That's what um, I understand too, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so Home of Joe Biden, home of oh, Jason well, Miller, yes. There we go. There we go. Um, and Jason Patrick, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so, um, right. yeah. so, uh, you know, back in, back in, uh, New York around this time, Billy Friedkin is also in New York, uh, and he sees Jason Miller's picture in the New York times. Um, and so he sets up a meeting, mm-hmm. uh, which ends up being kind of lukewarm by all accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, Friedkin wasn't too impressed. Uh, Miller had not read The Exorcist. Friedkin said, read it. <laughs> um, then a little bit later, uh, Friedkin gets this call and it's Jason Miller. And he finally read the book. And hey, guess what? Just like Ellen Burstyn from before, Jason Miller insists that he is that guy, that young mm-hmm. priest. He is Father Karras. Thing is, though, he isn't. Uh, they had already given that role to Stacey Keach. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jason Miller begs Friedkin to reconsider, begs him to do at least one, uh, a screen test and Friedkin agrees and Miller sighing with relief says, great, I'll see you in a week. And he takes a train because he's afraid to fly. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so like so after, he's a train guy, like Joe Biden, he's a train guy, like Joe Biden's own. Yeah. yeah. Um, which by the way, this scene, this scene with him, um, opens up with the subway train coming right towards the screen. Oh my <laughs> That's God. Right, yeah. Right? But, uh, but I also like, uh, it. We, we we zoomed right past this, and I want to I want to talk about this. I like how there's a scene with Marin wandering through the uh, the, the the ruins of the mm-hmm. temple, and he kind of gets like swallowed up by this pillar, right? Right. And the same kind of thing happens to uh, to Father Karras as he's like he's um, entering this subway platform, and this pillar just kind of like hides him from our view. Yeah, it's certainly a good strategy that the movie has. Even in the Chris scenes, you know, we talked about when she comes out of the bedroom, and we are shooting between the rail of the of the landing <gasps> right and right. we don't realize that until the camera starts to move and yes. in our uh, in our previous minute as she's um coming in and seeing sharon we have these foreground elements that are innocuous like flowers or that kind of thing but we we certainly are a fan in this movie about um you know hiding people behind foreground elements as the camera moves and that's interesting that that story you're talking about right because because jason miller is a playwright sure he's an actor but he's famous for being a playwright and then we have friedkin seeing his picture and they're, and seeing like, oh, this is a guy I want to have a conversation with, even though he's more known as a playwright, because he has that sort of look, that that athletic look. And Stacey Keach, who gets the role first, is known for that. His most famous movie up to this point was as a boxer in this movie called Fat City. So again, trying to trying to uh, make sure that um, Father Karras is playing by a guy's guy, a dude's yes. dude. Yeah. And we assume that that um, uh, Jason Miller's picture was in the paper probably because of that championship. Uh, yeah, probably, right. Yeah. But yeah, so- he he ends up coming to LA and he does the screen test and the test turns out to be amazing. Mm-hmm. So much so that Friedkin goes to Warner Brothers. By this time, they got to be already so tired of this guy. <laughs> and he convinces them to pay off Stacey, Stacey Keach uh, and cast Jason Miller. And uh, this with the help of Blatty, who agrees that the actor uh, for Karis should be relatively unknown. Right. And so- Another miracle, another actor has found their way into this movie against all odds. And I am so excited because in these upcoming minutes, we're going to see a lot of Jason Miller as, yes, 
Father Karras, who I think may be my favorite character. I think I may have said that about other characters in the past. I can't remember. Um, but I think Father Karras is my favorite character. We, we were talking before, um, I forget which minute we were talking about, but like the, mm. the idea of like, oh, we want to tell the story about this young Orson Welles type director who's going against the studio and the studio's interfering. But here right. you have another instance where it's like, hey, we need to fire this actor and pay him yeah. off the salary. And the studio's like, okay, here's the money. Right, right. <laughs> right, because the studios at this point are being controlled by people who, who sort of agree with the Orson Welles myth of like, hey, let's get out of these people's control, uh, get out of their way and give them a lot of control. And it has paid off for them economically. Precisely, yeah. Um, so yeah, there probably was a, a little bit of pushback, but I mean, Friedkin got his way and uh, Jason Miller got into the movie just like Ellen Burstyn. Right. Um, you know, there's there's the subway system thing and we have a lot of transitions where we have these planes as you were pointing out, right? These mm-hmm. plane noises. Uh, so I did look it up and I was trying to see like where the Washington DC airports were mm-hmm. um, and they are nowhere near Georgetown in Northwest. There's the Baltimore airport that I flew into Baltimore in and got lost in Baltimore, <laughs> which I wouldn't recommend. Don't get lost in Baltimore, um, which is on the other side. That's more like... Um, to the east of, of where Washington is. There's Reagan National, which is to the south. And then there is Dulles, which is the main airport at this time. And it's in Virginia. It's way to the east. So these airplane, I was thinking like, oh, yeah, are these airplane noises that we pointed out? Is that because that's what you would hear in Georgetown? And maybe Blatty is like, that's just natural. But not really. No, these are additions. Um, they're additions to it because you wouldn't be able to hear a plane taking off or landing the way that you can at my university, UNLV, which is constantly beset by plane noises. So well, yes, yeah, I, I, I remember that as well when I was in when I was in Vegas. It's fun for the film students as they're out there oh, trying yeah. to film things. Oh, that's got to be that's got to be like just <laughs> dandy. Yeah. And DC has this lovely um, uh, subway system. I know if you're from DC, you probably hate me saying that because wherever you are, you you hate your bus system or you hate your your subway system. Yeah. But I was struck by that yeah, having no real having no subway system in um, Vegas, and then having a pretty subpar subsystem in uh, LA, as you know, where mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you can ride the subway, but only if you're going from very particular places to very particular places. Wait, um, we have a subway system. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you could take it from uh, from downtown to uh, uh, downtown. further downtown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, sorry, guys. Uh, I think we have you beat. Uh, L.A. has has you beat for like the worst like transportation. Like, <laughs> yeah, DC. I love DC subway system. I can get around really well with that. So I, I know it. You know, I was taking it as a tourist, and I've heard from people who live there that like if you're a commuter, it, it you know breaks down all the time or what have you or. Um, there was a mysterious fire all of a sudden. And all that. But in the meantime, it, it took me to the mall just fine. I, I went from the Georgetown area when I was staying at American University, so it's in Northwest, and I got down to the mall just fine. The first I was, I was, I think I was spoiled. Um, the first mm-hmm. subway system I ever like interacted with was when I was in uh, Japan, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, you want to get here, you want to get there. It's like you just you, like, and they're always on time, and they're nice right. and clean, and everything like that. And then I went from Japan to uh, to Hong Kong, and Hong mm-hmm. Kong was like uh, again, it was just another like very neat, uh, nice, uh, efficient uh, subway system. Mm-hmm. I didn't even have a car in Hong Kong. I just I just mm-hmm. went, I just walked everywhere and took the train. And then I come to LA, and I'm like, <laughs> well, um, this map says this is uh, 45 minutes away, so I'm not going to get there today. <laughs> Uh, but that's me. Let me. Sorry, sorry to distract that much. But yeah, when you look at oh. the movie, right, like the subway system here is like this place of isolation and yes. loneliness, and yes. and no one is on the train, and there's yes. no one in the station. So it's yeah, I like that. It's like you're saying, it's very similar to the Iraq sequences. It's where 
I mean, this guy is alone with his thoughts and anything that's yes. haunting him, it comes out of the subway because it's so, such a terrible place. Right, right. And it's subterranean. It's underground. Mm-hmm. It's, it's gloomy. It has like, like, you know, the colors and everything like that. Um, but yeah, no, this is, th- there was, it was definitely a choice to have him, you know, we meet him here mm-hmm. know, uh, under the earth, so to speak. Right. These are yeah. the first scenes with him as the, as the um, point of view character. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Keenan, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am Lester. Okay. So folks, until next time, the The power power of Coca-Cola compels you. Here's the real thing. Travel refreshed. Sponsor us, Coca-Cola. We need sponsors. Please, please sponsor us. We we, we really appreciate it. We love you. That's very funny.